morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, how was your weekend? Oh, so good. Praise God. Yeah, interesting, interesting times. No, oh, I just like, I preached at church. That was great. With a mask? With a mask, almost hyperventilated and died. Um, but it was fine. From breathing too much carbon dioxide while preaching. (laughs) One of those things that if you're listening, if you're listening in today and you are somebody who doesn't do, hasn't, doesn't do public speaking or preaching, you do use, you do breathe heavily. So much. And you lose, you use a lot of oxygen when you are public speaking. Uh, you, you burn a lot of energy. Uh, in fact, uh, experts have estimated that when a pastor preaches a sermon, he expends eight hours worth of energy. Wow. Yeah, that's a well, massive... Uh, all I know is that I was just talking a thousand miles an hour, like usual, and then all of a sudden I started conking out. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we don't have to wear masks to do radio? Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine doing two hours of radio with a mask on. I, dude, I think I'd start seeing stars. But uh, it, was, it was fine, it was fine. Um, and then after that, let's see, oh, your Sunday night, you know, it was, it was quite, quite a cute moment on Sunday night. So basically, uh, my dad is engaged. Ah, oh, congratulations! And Massive shout out yeah. to uh, to Lawson's dad and future stepmom. Yeah, and basically we had members from my family, members from her family. You know, they're both in their fifties and have four kids each. Sure. So yeah, just getting together and having a meal. It was, it was cool. It was like you know, and and because she has like grandkids and the, these little. Toddlers running around and yelling and screaming. It was, it was great. That's so awesome. Just, you know, if they, if they need a minister, just, just throw my hat in the ring now. Throw my hat in the ring. Uh, awesome. uh, your dad's awesome. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, well, let's have a look at some positively different news around the world. Let's do it. Okay, so I wanted to take some time. I've got some news stories here, but I wanted to take some time to talk about uh, one specific thing that's going on at the moment. It's already the 5th of July, but you are uh, not uh, too late to get involved in Dry July. Yes. I'm involved in Dry dry July. Yeah. I am not drinking any alcohol in the month of July. (laughs) Or June or April or or any other month. February or January. Dry every month, but it includes July. No, well, Dry July, it's like, if I think it's probably one of the best charities I've ever seen. You know, you know, there's those charities that have something to do with usually a challenge, whether it's like push-ups or, you know, you can go into the Tough Mudder challenge, right? And it's like for 5k race and you raise money for charity. Well, this challenge is incredible because I th- feel like, you know, going dry for at least this month and if for not For a good more, cause. For a good cause is probably one of the, one of the best things you can do for your physical and mental health. Yes. Like 100%. Yes. You know, uh, you'll get a better effect from this than doing one of those push-up ones. You know, and, and I have to say too, like I, I have family, uh, that doesn't <sighs> necessarily, they don't necessarily, sh- you know, they're not Christian. They don't 
share the same convictions as me on alcohol and they drink, but they participate in dry July. Oh, wow. And that's literally awesome. all of them are like, this is amazing. I wish I could just do this all the time. And I'm like, actually you can, uh, you can, so, <laughs> but this is a, a, again, a great initiative and you can go through the dry July foundation itself, um, to do this challenge. It's dry July is one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, Movember, how it's like, you can go through the foundation itself and raise money or you can just grow a mas- mustache cause it's, November. Because uh, it's cool. Yeah. With, with Dry July, it's the same thing. You can, you know, just do it because... Bragging rights. Yeah, you know, it's Dry July. Or you can actually go through the foundation and start fundraising. And the fundraising, like, the money goes to all kinds of places, from wellness programs to transport services, um, hospital equipment, supporting people with cancer. Like, this is the yeah. A1 purpose of Dry July. Absolutely. Um, supporting people who are struggling with cancer, which is, as many people know, affects... Thousands of people, uh, millions of people across the world and thousands of people in Australia. I'm pretty sure we all have someone that we know or a loved one who has been affected by cancer, who has lost lost their life from cancer. And so if you want to give back to the people who are trying to solve this problem, get involved. Like Dry July, A1, get get on it. You know, dryjuly.com like, will take you straight to the website and they have all the information there that you need to get involved. So I'd love uh, to hear about Faith FM listeners who are getting involved with that. I think that there would be a few a, f- a few listeners who are kind of on the level of us where they live dry July, January, March, April, May, June. Um, but yeah, hey, if you're listening today and you're like, wow, this could be a great thing to be a part of, well then go for it, please. All right, just quickly, I have a couple of minutes left. Let's talk about some uh, positively different news around the world. I wrote a story uh, this morning. It was actually uh, producer Shell who sent it to me that is absolutely hilarious. Like, it's so good. Essentially, uh, it's all about how um, astronauts can't do laundry in space. Right. Did you know that? I've never thought of that. Because they don't have, they just simply don't have enough water. What does that space shuttle or the space station actually smell like on the inside? Well, this is, this is the thing, Lyle, is that they have to change clothes. This is, so because they can't do laundry, they have to bring like lots of clothes. Okay. Um, which they like recycle, which space recycling is basically you put it in a bag and you send it out into space, uh, towards the earth to be burned up in the atmosphere. Okay. Uh, but. Well, I was just thinking. Can't you just put it in a porous bag, put it out into space, all the bacteria will die, it's clean. Bring it back in, put it back on. <laughs> Problem solved. Lyle, you are solving their problems. Oh, because- I just, just, I'm genius, I'm genius. Because they're well, basically- Because you close smell because of the bacteria, right? Yeah. But then how do you get removed r- r- stains? Don't worry about the stains. Who's, who's, who's looking? <laughs> yeah, who's looking seriously? Space. <laughs> well, for these guys, like, the, yeah, the current solution is that they bring, like, dozens of clothes, like, massive Which bags a lot of, of clothes, and and, you know, and weight and whatnot, and then they just, like, burn them, you know, send them out into the vacuum of space to be burned up in the atmosphere when they're done with them. Um, but... I wonder, that- I wonder whether anyone's ever had a stray satellite that's just sort of gone... Gone, it's gone, gone off air because, because, because it's, because it's only got a bag of washing wrapped around <laughs> it and it's just not communicating with Earth anymore. Well, if it, if that happened, they probably wouldn't tell us because it'd be embarrassing. But, <laughs> uh, but check it out. Like basically Tide, the, uh, laundry company has partnered with NASA. They're doing collaboration and research that'll start next year with their tests of giving 
astronauts the opportunity to wash their clothes. Uh, and they're doing this with a few methods. They've come up with these, like, washing pens, which you can kind of get out and where you have a stain on your clothes, you can kind of draw. You know, when, you know when you, like, try and get Sharpie off a whiteboard? Yes. Like, you put permanent marker on it and you get, like, a, a whiteboard marker and you wipe over it and then uh-huh, you wipe. Uh-huh. They're basically doing the same thing, but with, like, a pen on stains on clothes. Okay. And then, you know, uh, they've come up with a few different, like, um, yeah, just uh, deodorant kind of... Well, it's not deodorant, but it's, like, scent-based dispersal um, washing methods that, yeah, they're all going to go up in the space shuttle in 2022. And finally, um, answer one of the the most uh, brewing space crises, and that is the overuse of clothes. So, somebody's texted in, somebody's texted in, and they want to know, haven't they heard of dry cleaning? Um, you can't do washing in space because you don't have water, but haven't they heard of dry cleaning? Well, well, I don't know. I have producer Shell shaking her head furiously because, because maybe she knows something about dry cleaning that I don't. Which dry be cleaning hard. uses a lot of steam, which is still moisture. Mm-hmm. And you I, can't I, I, have that. I on didn't a know that. It's called craft. dry. Why is it called dry cleaning if it's using steam? Because That's the clothes dry. don't get like wet. That's not dry. Submerged. Also, like, this is how much okay, they so, can so serve is, water is, on the space. So, so, so our texter, I should oh, say, yeah. is a man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> a man. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> um, no, but check it out. Like, because, um, <laughs> dude, when you're in the space shuttle, they collect every source of moisture. They like, do. from workout sweat to... You know, just like... Because they turn it into in oxygen. The and then they turn it into os- oxygen and purify and turn it into water. Like literally everything. So they don't, they can't go dry cleaning. They can't chuck her in the tumble dryer in space. Like, no, this is, this is, this is evolutionary for space travel and, and living. So hopefully, uh, you know, this will, you know, we've been saying this for, I, I don't know how many decades, but hopefully it will lead to the proliferation of living in space for you know, normal people. But oh, probably maybe, maybe we'll use it on Mars one day. Who knows? A hundred percent. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lyle, serious news. Okay, so we've got uh, celebrity actress uh, Kirsty Alley, of course, famous for uh, probably most famous for the TV show Cheers. I don't even know what that is. I don't even. I don't. I don't know who this person is. Unbelievable. Um, (laughs) But just she just came out in another movie in 2020. um, Can't take my daughter. Maybe. Uh, I, I've not seen it, but anyway, whatever. She's a, uh, she's a celebrity actress. Lots uh-huh. of people, lots of people, Lawson listening this morning know who Kirsty Alley is and they know the, the TV show Cheers. But anyway, <laughs> um, and Mark Latham, both on the same page this morning. So let's start with Kirsty Alley. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been making some interesting tweets in which she has stated that the United States is grooming children and society to accept pedophilia as normal orientation. Ooh. She said their exposure, children's exposure to everything perverse on every kind of screen is mind-boggling and even more, uh, and even more troubling, it's being hyped as normal. And of course, we know that most children are, are receiving their first contact with online pornography around the age of eight and nine. Mm-hmm. When children should be playing with Legos, mm-hmm. they're looking at hardcore porn. Yeah. And she's like, this is, this is being billed as normal and it's being stated in schools that this is just kids, you know, normally, ex- normal kids exploring their sexuality. And she's like, no, this is not normal. It's not. And this is going to change society in a very bad way. Rubbish being crammed down kids' throats, explicit sex 
education and select ideas being forced on kids, and she's now talking about what takes place in schools, is not better survival for the human race. Mm. Education, she says, should be about better survival. This is not better survival. Mm. Mm. Uh, people are, she goes on, people are becoming so open-minded they will support pedophilia as just loving children. So some pretty controversial statements right there. <laughs> oh. And you have, to, you have to stop and ask, okay, when the next generation comes through that has been looking at pornography since they were eight years old, and they've been looking at every kind of perverse thing on the screen that you can imagine. Will they actually have a moral compass left that can act, that is even capable of seeing what's wrong, wrong with anything? And, and this is, a, I actually uh, watched a documentary about this, like about, you know, the, the problems, you know, the, the, the problems that pornography bring in, but it, it had a section that focused on like, oh, how, how come pedophilia, Pedophilia is so pervasive, mm-hmm. even though it's so morally wrong. Yes. Um, and that's because when young people start, you know, uh, getting into some kind of sexual activity at a very young age, you know, if we, like, because I would say like kids are probably exposed around the eight or nine age, but then it's, yes. it's a little bit later until then anything starts to go on. And, and unfortunately now we live in a society with the proliferation of pornography use and masturbation and all this stuff like happens super young. Um, and you know, but then it's like maybe some sharing goes on between people, like all this kind of stuff. Basically it's like, because they're starting that sexual attraction at a young age to other young people, Yes. say maybe at their school, maybe it's something like this, that they create a sexuality template or an attraction template that exists into their adult years. Yes. And it's, it, and it means that like this person, that's their education start, like stay sexually attracted to what they were sexually attracted to when they were younger. Which yeah. Is that's really scary. A, another young person. That's a, which is, that's really scary. And it's really messed up. Like it's it, it, basically what we're doing by, by encouraging this behavior is creating a generation of this. And, 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 it hurt, and it hurts to think about it. It does. It really does. It's just horrific stuff. Mm. So Mark Latham has been posting about Merriweather High School. That's just down the road from mm. where we are broadcasting here in Newcastle, uh, where they had a class called It's Gay in the GSA. Uh, this was for 12-year-olds. Um, and the, the GSA is the Gender Sexuality Alliance, and they were discussing LGBTQIAP topics. Well, they've listed... Missed a few letters out there, but they've do, okay, put most do of them in. Do not tell me that P is in that. P is in that. Oh, anyway, yeah. um, so they discussed those kind of topics and they played queer trivia. This was organised by the deputy principal. And, of course, there were a number of parents that complained uh, to the state education minister about this because they weren't told that their children were going to be exposed to this kind of material. And as mm. parents, they felt that they had the right to edu- the, the, the first, you know, th- they had the right to have a say in their children's education, particularly on controversial subjects such as this. Yes. Uh, they were not supported by the education minister here in New South Wales, um, Liberal uh, State Education. Um, she did come back and say, the, the, the Liberal State Education Minister did come back and say that there is a controversial issues in schools policy that the state government has, mm. but it doesn't apply to sex education. Oh, okay. Wow. 
So that's not controversial. So LGBTQIAP topics are not controversial. It, they are now normal. God, that's so wild. And you can, uh, and inviting 12-year-old kids to come and participate in something like that is now normal. This is grooming. Mm. This yep. is grooming our young people. Our young people should be playing with Legos and reading books. But at the, at the same time, I'm going to say, like, so when I was 12 in year seven, our school sat us down and we had our first, like, sex education talk. We did it like a couple years got together and it, someone got up and explained how the reproductive system works. How the like, plumbing works. Yeah, how, how all that stuff works. But also, you know, it's from the Christian perspective as well that like, hey, we also don't want to encourage this. But every parent was notified. Like the yes, school and then they had my the choice parents. to look at the curriculum and decide. Okay, do you do I want my ch- child no. to be involved in this or not? That's not the and case. And it anymore. wasn't even it, it, like yes, you could say there was there was a Christian aspect, but it wasn't ideologically based as well. It was literally just this is how the this reproductive the system works. Like this is what sex is. Like someone came and explained that, and I'm just like, dude, this was ten years ago. Like this, I was. Okay, my, my question is, if, if the controversial issues in schools policy doesn't cover sex education, what does it cover? What is controversial? Oh, it's probably racist. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. Like. <laughs> anyway, um, so basically state government does not believe that parents have the right to give consent oh, on this kind of stuff. Um, because they've demonstrated that through their at- attitudes uh, and that schools have the right to teach uh, pansexuality, transsexuality, non-binary, etc., 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 you know, 120 different genders and orientations, whatever they are, to students without parents having any influence on that. Um, and we're constantly told that, you know, and, and this is one of the things I come back to. You've got this explosion in the United States right now. Ten years ago, there was one gender clinic in the US. Mm. Now there is 300. Mm. And if that was, if they were catering to people across all ages, then we would say, okay, we have normalized this in society. And so a lot of people are coming out of the closet, but they're not. They're only catering to teenagers because only teen girls are the ones who are accessing this. And they are having operations to have their breasts removed and so forth with a 90% failure rate. Mm. 90% regret it. And the other thing is, if somebody identifies as non-binary, who says that a non-binary person doesn't have breasts? Mm. Think about that. Mm. Why is a non-binary person look like a man? But this why do we have to, if you're non-binary, why, why do you have to be a man? But there are also, like, people in the transgender community who then say, like, oh, no, I'm a man. So, oh, for sure, I get that. I'm, I'm just bringing up, you know. The point. I'm just, no, I'm just I, I trying to illustrate the craziness of the world that we live yeah. in. Let's, uh, may the Lord come soon. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Fantastic. Well, Dr. John Ashton is joining us this morning to talk about creation and evolution. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning, uh, Lyle. A bit frosty down here, uh, quite a white uh, layer all over the ground. Yeah, I think there's probably a few people experiencing a frost this morning. (laughs) Now, um, Dr. John Ashton, we've been talking about, uh, from time to time, this uh, Denisova cave in Siberia, where they are finding, well, Neanderthals, Denisovians, Denisovians, and now humans, and apparently... uh, positing that they these people may have coexisted, interbred with each other. Um, 
I have some questions, I guess, about, you know, what's actually happening here. And I, and I guess, you know, one of the questions is how do they actually determine the age of the cave? How do they determine the age of the layers that they're looking at in the cave? And if we had a very slow process of evolution, wouldn't the incremental differences between, say, Denisovians and Neanderthals and human beings be just sort of all blurred and blended together? Why is the DNA apparently uh, bringing back these distinct species and would these be distinct tribes rather than distinct species? I know there's a lot of questions there. I'm wondering whether you can help us out. Well, uh, to start with, this is certainly not my field, um, but it's, it's interesting. And when I read the article that, uh, you know, was published, I mean, it's, it's quite recent, just last month in Science, um, about uh, the uh, Nathandrels, uh, Denisovians, and, of course, the modern humans. We need to understand that the Denisovians are just named after the uh, some fossils and, and not, you know, a real lot either, or bones rather, uh, that they found in uh, the Denisonian cave. And then, of course, we have the Nathandrels and then we have uh, what they call modern humans. But really, Nathandrels, when um, I remember reading a uh, study quite some time ago by a, um, a sort of a, a forensic uh, dentist, I suppose. So this was a dentist um, who actually identified uh, people from their, their teeth, their remains, and so that was his speciality. And um, he had actually trained and worked with the dentists that confirmed uh, Hitler's remains after the Second World War. Um, and I, I can't remember his name, but he's quite a, a famous dentist, and he's actually a creationist, a young earth creationist. So this was, um, and he'd published quite a lot of uh, papers or, or research and done quite extensive research into the claims of uh, Neanderthals. And from their skulls and their structure and, and so forth, his conclusion was that, um, yeah, they were, they were just normal humans. They were just you know, a slightly different race that had slightly different structural features. And... Um, it's the same with, um, I suspect it's going to be the same with the uh, Denisovians and so forth. But it's, it's interesting, I'm reading the article there where they talk about dates of, you know, 300,000 years and and 140,000 years and uh, all this sort of thing from the different layers. And um, I'm not sure how they can do this because carbon-14 dating doesn't go back that far. And um, radioisotope dating from those sort of uh, layers, I should imagine, would be, be very iffy. Um, and we know there's you know major, major problems with uh, the standard radio uh, metric dating as well. We get you know crazy ages. So I'm, I, I really can't comment on how they get those ages, but uh, on the basis of um, you know what I know today, they're likely to be highly suspect and I think one of, one of the things is that they've got to try and establish some sort of um, evolutionary uh, change and so the people working in this area are working in what we call evolutionary archaeology and um, but I think um, you know it's a, it's a very iffy area uh, and one of the 
one of the things that is really coming out to me at the present time is as they're trying to establish this link between some ape-like creature um, and they've got to find these intermediates. So that's what they're sort of claiming, I guess, these Nathandrals, these Denethobians were some sort of intermediates in this gradual development of uh, modern humans, whereas what, uh, as creation, and uh, as creationists, and I think uh, the evidence is accumulating now that there's a distinct difference between the apes and between humans. And as we know, the Nathandrals, um, uh, uh, you know, created quite uh, interesting art um, and, uh, you know, tools and all these sort of things. They buried people, you know, that they behave just, just like us. Um, and similarly, I gather from these Denisovians as well. So their behaviour is quite different to that of apes. In other words, all these groups that they're trying to say are gradual or evolution of humans, really they're humans and then the earlier groups are, are, are apes uh, or animals. And I think one of the couple of recent discoveries have, have come out that have, in my mind have highlighted this quite strongly and one of them was, was quite noticed, um, quite uh, local really in terms of um, back uh, in late 2018, the Australian neuroanatomist uh, 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 um uh, Professor George Paxinus, um, I think he's at uh, UNSW, University of New South Wales, but um, he, he's, I'm pretty sure he's in Sydney there. Um, he um, discovered a new cerebral nucleus at the base of the uh, human brain, and uh, he called it the um, uh, endoresporium, resiform, uh, sorry, nucleus. And, and he's been studying uh, brain tissues in, you know, different uh, animals, uh, mammals and primates and, and, of course, humans. And what he found was that this um, nucleus was unique to humans. It wasn't in any other mammals. And one of the things that they found was that this nucleus had neural connection to huge numbers of areas of the brain. And um, one of the things that um, humans can do that apes can't do is that we can do fine motor coordination. And um, so they believe that uh, they now think that this centre, which is unique to humans, enables us to do fine motor coordination. Now, this is one of the things that separates us from apes in the evolutionary thing, in that in the we can... Um, uh, you know, we can play music, we can uh, perform very, very fine tasks with our hands, like assembling microprocessors and, and these sort of uh, things. And, um, and other animals don't have this fine processing capability. Um, the other thing too, and this is associated with the art that we often find associated in these uh, ancient caves and this sort of thing that the, the people um, grew is, a, is another part of the brain that has also been discovered uh, quite uh, recently as well. Um, and that is uh, another default network which gives us pleasure when viewing objects. Um, and so the appreciation of visual beauty and, and aesthetics. And again, 
that was um, this centre was only uh, discovered was written up in science back uh, only a couple of years ago, 2019. It's the uh, the Fort Mode Network um, that. Um, and that was a, a, a paper that was published in proceedings to the National Academy of Sciences uh, back in 2019. Uh, and anybody wants to look it up, it's the default mode network represents aesthetic appeal that generalises across visual domains. And again, they're only found in humans. So what we're finding is when we, that the behaviour of these uh, people in these uh, caves and this sort of thing, is human-type behaviour, and so there's this real distinction between um, apes, chimpanzees, all these sort of animals that are supposed to be our you know, immediate um, uh, ancestors, um, and humans. And when we look at these you know, different humans, they're, they're just you know, different groups of, of humans. And just as today... Um, well, when you when you think about you know in, in parts of the world still we have people living very primitively. Um, there's an island off the coast of India where people aren't allowed to to go to where you know people are, are living extremely uh, primitively. Uh, I think a, a missionary tried to land there illegally a couple of years ago and was sort of speared to death on the Bible over there um, and. Um, uh, the authorities couldn't even recover his body because, um, you know, the people were so hostile there. But they're living very, very primitively on uh, this island. And we know in other part remote uh, areas there are people living very primitively uh, compared now to in other parts of the world where we're, you know, sending rockets into outer space and we have mobile phones. And so, uh, but we're all humans. They're those people uh, are humans, just just like us. It's just that they've been living in their particular societies and cultures, and and they've um, they've chosen to be very content with that particular lifestyle. Mm. Um, so this is very, you know, and I think this is what it represents when they find these different caves. And we've got to remember that there's that agenda there where they've got to try and establish this evolutionary pathway. And I think, look, the the evidence we have, and as I mentioned in other programs before, the evidence that we have now is just overwhelming that evolution is in, in, impossible. So, you know, my area is chemistry. Evolution is underpinned by chemical reactions, right, to cause changes. And we know that the chemical reactions required to cause the changes in the DNA, the mutations and so forth, don't um, don't take place, they're, and they're, uh, the and the number of uh, reactions that would be required to make some significant changes are absolutely huge. And so we know that the, the probability of them happening in a coordinated way is absolutely impossible, particularly to develop these structures responsible for fine motor coordination and so forth that we're discovering, particularly in the neural networks in the human brain are absolutely amazing and they're, they're extremely coordinated. And then that all this points to the fact that we were created in the image of God to be able to understand nature, to be able to, you know, work out the, the maths involved in nuclear forces and, and so forth and design, you know, uh, microprocessors and, and so forth. And so this is powerful evidence 
for the Creator God. And the important issue is that the young people in our curriculum are being denied um, the evidence for this and the ability to, you know, have the evidence for Creator God presented to them. And I think uh, one of the important things I'd just like to mention briefly is that up to the 8th of July, uh, the public has opportunity to comment on the new national syllabus. And the new national syllabus that is going to be taught to our children um, in high school requires them to look at all the evidence for evolution, look at all the evidence for the Big Bang and so forth. Um, And yet we know... Uh, there's no provision for them to look at uh, what are the major problems with evolution, Uh, what are the major issues with evolution, what is um, the evidence instead for intelligent design and creation. And so now is the opportunity for people to write in and make submissions um, uh, to this. So, So as I said, this document, the new national syllabus, is open for discussion at the moment and all submissions closed on the 8th of July, which is Thursday um, this week. So, you know, this is where we can all play uh, a part and, and write in or in, uh, write to our politicians and uh, this sort of thing because it's going to affect the future generations. Young people are being brainwashed that evolution explains everything, where, whereas it, uh, it doesn't. Um, sorry, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's fantastic, John. We we appreciate that very very much, and you always share such um, yeah astounding information with us. Um, we have yeah we have run out of time, but uh, thank you for joining us once again, Dr. John Ashton. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.